Pod. Pod. Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny Pod. Pod. I'm Christian Gapel. Pod. It's still funny. It is. I agree. It is still funny. It's been uh, it's been pointed out by more than one person in a review, also. So it's it's landing with the target demographic, I'd say. Yeah, it's it's got a it it kind of perfectly distills your very flat line but wry sense of humor. <laughs> Emphasis on wry. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the Washington Huskies are four and zero, Danny, after uh, an obliteration of California. And was we'll, it a, was it a stupid Cal game? It uh, it wasn't. It was, it was it was a stupid Cal game for Cal for, for Cal. once. I would say. <laughs> I think it's a game that Cal fans will look back on and be like, "Did we really spot them 14 points before they had the ball? Did that really yeah, happen?" They, yeah, you don't see that a lot. They didn't snap the ball and we're down. That Washington had yet. It's 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 next generation offense had yet to to run an offensive play and they were up 14. You know, Washington has things rolling when. Some of the reaction to that happening, the reaction to your team getting a pick six and a punt return touchdown is, oh, this is going to hurt Michael Penix's stats for the Heisman race. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of did. He made up for me. He still threw for 304 yards. But, like, there was no way he was going to throw for 400 yards in that game. You're right. The Heisman race is weird, though. I don't know if your stats – like, I don't know if his – I don't know if his performance in that game was really going to do anything for for his Heisman. I, I I have a theory that it's basically Michael Penix's Heisman is going to come down to what happens against Oregon, but then really what happens against USC. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way that, that narratives work and the way that hype affects all this stuff. Like if, especially if Washington and USC are undefeated going into that game and you know, Caleb Williams doesn't have some huge drop off or some dud like that's going to be billed like all week long as winner takes takes the 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 pole position in the Heisman race. You know, winner's going to jump to the front of the line, which is kind of silly. Like, what if what if the winning team's quarterback doesn't play as well? You know, what if like what if Caleb Williams throws for 500 yards in this just Herculean effort, but they lose on a last second field goal and Penix is just kind of OK? You know, yeah. then what? Or vice versa? Do you think the Heisman's getting determined later in the se- in the season than it used to be? I think so. And I think like I think the the kind of bite sized attention span uh, mm-hmm. has to do with that. Like, was it Kyler Murray beat Tua Tagovailoa um, when in the year? I mean, it was just Tua has this locked up after every week of this season. You'd have thought Tua, Tua had it locked up until I forget. Did Alabama lose? Either I think Alabama lost to Georgia, maybe. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly how it went. And Kyler Murray had you know just went off. Basically, won it the last week. Like the last week of the season, it went from Tua, Tua, Tua to oh yeah, no, it's Kyler. It's Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is clearly the winner. And yeah, I don't, I don't know that you you saw that happen a whole lot. Um, in the in the previous decades, yeah, it's it's such a funny thing because I mean, my window of becoming a college football fan, 
I felt like the Heisman would get determined pretty on early on during the season. Like Vinny Testaverde had had a big game early on. I think Miami beats Oklahoma with the Boz, and that was it. Like Vinny Testaverde was your Heisman winner. And that seems like it happens less. Like you have fewer games where there's a big early season tilt. Manziel probably fits that category. He had that game against against Alabama. And at that point, everybody was like, it's over, Johnny football. But, man, it seems like more and more it comes down to the very end. And then there's strange permutations of how it gets decided. Um, I Lamar don't... Jackson had it locked up all season, too. And that was one where like it was kind of acknowledged, okay, this guy's Heisman candidacy is like totally separate from his team's success because he plays for Louisville. They're not a playoff contender. So like a late season loss or two wasn't going to hurt him. And his his numbers were just so ridiculous, like just so insane. And I heard, Marcus Mariota kind of the same way. Yeah. I heard a really funny story about Lamar Jackson at Louisville. <laughs> when, when he was a freshman, Bobby Petrino put him back there to return punts. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it was at a spring practice. <laughs> and Lamar... If anybody knows, like Lamar Jackson is going to, he's not going to back away from any sort of challenge like that. So he went out there and he, he did it during whatever it was, whether it was, a, it was, it was not a game, but it was some sort of workout. And apparently that night he told somebody either with his family or that was close to him and then there were some calls made and Lamar Jackson never, ever returned punts again. Did, like, he, <laughs> did he house it? I would I would assume so. Like you watch that guy and how fast he is now. Imagine what he was like ten years ago. Um I always thought that was fun. Like Bobby Petrino was like, let's get this Lamar kid back there and return putts. <laughs> Although I mean maybe I can I can see the temptation just because <laughs> of the sure? athlete he is. But there's a risk reward thing there too. Like I wasn't I, as fun as it was to watch Roma Dunze run that punt back, there was a little bit of me with, that was like, "Yeah, why, why, why can't Jeremy Bernard do this? Or why can't, why can't we have him him returning the punts? I don't know. I don't know if I want Roma out there when J- 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 Jalen McMillan is is injured." Uh, Roma Dunze's punt return was it was kind of a reminder of how much skill is associated with that position that's not just pure speed, because. He didn't really open it up. Um, you, you didn't. You didn't see him bust out that ten, six, seven, hundred meter speed from high school, where you know he's just just booking it in a straight line. You know he kind of had that that quick twitch to make those first two guys fly past him. And at that point, I mean, you get two guys down there on a punt return that quickly, and they both miss against somebody with a you know some some elite athletic ability. I mean, just right there, I was like, oh, Cal's in trouble. I'm I'm not a big fan of going back and saying we saw this when because I'm not a I'm not a scout. I'm not a talent evaluator. Like I don't pretend to have some sort of insight and be able to identify great football players earlier than other people. But it was pretty clear when we were talking about Roma Dunze back when he was a a freshman that when he got the ball in his hands it looked different it has always looked different and when you see a truly there might not be a more enjoyable play to watch in football 
than a truly gifted punt returner sort of weaving through the coverage team. Just the the angles and how that play develops, it was true with Devin Hester. It was true with Deion Sanders. And watching Rome, I don't want to say he's just like those two because those are two of the most dangerous punt returners in the history of professional football. It was really fun to watch that. Uh, Devin Hester's his that's like his all-time hero too he um that's whose highlights he grew up watching he he said after the game and I think again on Tuesday when we talked to him like he he cherished he like truly cherishes the fact that he got to return a punt for a touchdown in college because he was (laughs) like he returned punts in high school he loves doing it he'd been looking forward to like getting a chance to run one back and he they put him back there a couple times last year um, he was one I've, I always thought, like, if you're looking for the most explosive punt returner on the team, and that's not always the goal, right, for reasons you just mentioned, if he's your best player, do you want him taking those extra hits and that type of thing? Um, I don't know that that uh, there's a lot of teams out there that can do better than Romo Dunze, although Jalen McMillan um, has has shown he's pretty elusive when, when he gets into the open field with it, too. He's really good. Devin Hester is a next-level kick returner. One of the most enjoyable things on Twitter is every once in a while there will become an argument in which people film, NFL film Twitter starts talking about Corderell Patterson. He's the best kickoff returner in the history of football. And then all these guys will play, who played, will just come on, no, it's Devin Hester. I don't care what your stats or your film says. It was Devin Hester. If you watch Hester highlights, they're they're insane. It's Devin Hester. A couple other guys that deserve shout-outs in the punt return category. Reggie Bush and Deshaun Jackson. Unbelievable. <laughs> just just unbelievable. Deshaun Jackson had... Like, I don't know that people quite appreciate how elite his college career was. <laughs> his pro career? He's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I, no doubt. But, you know, I don't care about the NFL. that's not true i watched i watched the nfl but i watch way more college football he was devastating the the speed that he played at is unreal the the percentage of like top tier nfl players at their position who have come through cal who came through cal under jeff tedford is kind of astounding it's wild to the point where you're not sure how they didn't win a national championship. Yeah, they weren't super far off because they there was the year they had one loss and got snubbed and then kind of mailed in the bowl game. Yes, but man, they had Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch on the same team. Me Bain was on there too. Yeah, the the the, the level of talent that that program has had, it's right up there with Syracuse for most prominent NFL products from. An overall middling college program. You uh, you bringing up Lamar Jackson being asked to return a punt reminds me that uh, so after Michael Penix Jr. had the the pylon scrape against Penn State for Indiana in 2020, um, Bob Kravitz, also formerly of the Athletic, now he's also writing on Substack, uh, appears to be doing quite well. He wrote a story about Penix and and kind of how he he got to that point. His high school coach. Told told Kravitz toward the end of his recruitment, uh, an SEC school reached out and asked his high school coach 
you think he'd be interested in coming to us and playing safety? And his coach told him, oh, hell no. That's wild. <laughs> because this school was was turned off by a left-handed quarterback. They didn't want a left-handed quarterback. I don't know if he'd be a good safety. Is he fast enough? I mean, he's a big dude. He's, he's he pretty fa- explosive. Yeah. Uh, he, he broad jumps over 10 feet. Oh, he does. Okay. Wow. That surprises me. He broad jumps over 10 feet? Yeah, I I think he'd... I kind of think he'd almost be too big to play safety. Yeah, he's a big dude. He's I, 6'3", he's really long, he's got huge hands, I don't know. I mean, if, if if that was like the mentality he had and he wanted to hit people and come downhill in the running game as a 6'3", six, you know, six, he would, I would, you know, if if an athlete that size focused on defense, he'd he'd bulk up to a different weight and all that but i just think like because he had he had ridiculous high school stats too and he's got you know tennessee really wanted him he had other offers and like Mm -hmm. come to this guy and ask if he wants to play safety safety (laughs) that's the sec for you that if you could distill down my major complaint about the sec that's what it is you've got this really gifted offensive player like let's have him go hit something (laughs) uh during during the broadcast i was taken by surprise and this might uh admit a little bit of ignorance on my part because i don't subscribe to espn plus so i don't get uh because i currently am subscribing to to peacock so i could watch the i've got to monitor my my streaming subscriptions i don't have their big draft boards and they were saying during the the cal game the broadcasters were saying that it's a slam dunk that, that Mel Kuyper considers Roma Dunze a lock for a first round pick, which was the first time I'd heard that. Is is that is that buzz that's been going around? Yeah, I heard. I noticed that too. Um, I similarly do not have a subscription to to read those things. <laughs> uh, I don't believe in paying for content. <laughs> no, no, that, that you need to you need to walk that back right now. You don't believe in paying broadcasting monoliths for there content. There you go. I will not pay yeah, listen, we subscribe to Disney Plus. That's enough. Yeah. Uh, um I, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, just based on his production yeah. and like it it's the same thing with, with Panics with the Heisman, you know. Like he he was he put forth the Heisman worthy season last year yep but he had no chance because there was no buzz on him going into the year is this you know a nice player at indiana but he's been hurt and what's going on at washington they went four and eight last year all that but now you know going into this year he had the whole offseason right well it's the same way with odunze he didn't have the injury concerns but he hadn't had a season yet of being the guy and and showing like literally through his production that he's a thousand yard receiver, even though everybody at Washington knew that if he, if he just got the targets, if he just got the opportunity, him and Jalen McMillan, absolutely. were we're both that type of player. And I think we're seeing now like pretty obviously Jalen Polk is too. Um, but yeah, I mean just the athletic traits, you know, the fact that he's bulked up, um, that he's just, it seems like he is open as those guys are pretty regularly he's the one who it just doesn't seem to matter if he's open or not he's 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 mossing guys to uh to borrow a, a phrase that players like to use he's winning 50 50 balls he's clearly stronger he it it takes more than one guy to tackle him and if mm-hmm. it 
if one guy does tackle him, he's probably going to drag him five yards first. Uh, he's really tough after the catch. He's returning punts now. I mean, uh, there's just I don't know what you would want to see from a first round receiver that he hasn't put on tape. He is extremely impressive, and how strong he is, I think, jumps out because I've always thought of him as being not slight. I've always thought he moves really explosively. And now you're seeing that yards after contact, not just yards after catch, like he's tough to bring down. He's re- he's really impressive. Do you get concerned ever when you see him dragging a couple guys? So I, <laughs> not, not just for, not just for like injury concerns or whatever, but um, I feel like that's when, when fumbles happen. It, it is when fumbles happen. So one of the things that Pete Carroll does, and I'm I'm not some sort of Pete Carroll devotee, but this is one of the, that once guys wrap you up, it's not worth it to fight for the extra yards. Once you're wrapped up, it's best to go with being pulled down because that is when fumbles happen because the ball becomes a point of leverage. You're holding onto it. They're holding onto it. The torque. It was something that Marshawn Lynch, the that the that Pete Carroll specifically tried to reach Marshawn Lynch on because he would fumble precisely because of what Rome does, which is he's wrapped up, people are pulling at the ball, and he's still pulling forward. And the physics of it. So to answer it, I'm not worried about him getting hurt. Yes, I am worried about him fumbling. In college, I think it matters less. And Rome's so strong and much stronger than the other guys. I do think at the next level that that could become an issue. I texted my dad after the on Sunday and said, "Is there any receiver in Washington history besides Reggie Williams who you'd say is definitely better than Romo Dunze?" And he said he thinks he's better than Reggie. He's an, a better overall player than Reggie. And I don't know that I I'm ready to go that far. I think it's you know if you put Reggie's film in front of in you know in front of you right now, you'd be going, "Okay, that's right." Yeah, I, I'd forgotten how dominant he was, and he's Reggie's a little bit bigger, just a little he is bit bigger. Yes, um, and was so was so clearly the best player on the team from the moment he stepped on campus that it, it's it's hard for me to say that that anybody's more talented than him. But the numbers are, I mean, it it won't be over a three year period for for factors that really don't have anything to do with Romo Dunze, but his his. I guess third and fourth year numbers are are going to be in the ballpark. It's dominant. And I would say that it comes with the Rome is playing with better receivers than Reggie did, which is wild to say cuz Charles Frederick was there. But the the trio and I would even say you've got to slide you've got to slide Jeremy Bernard in there too. That's a really high level trio of guys, a quartet of guys. They're rece- they're receiving Washington's receiving core is really really good. I would have never thought that I would see a receiver that would would rival Reggie Williams at Washington. Um and and I do think I do think Rome does. Um Reggie was bigger as you said. I think Reggie was better and more he was he was just a grown man from the moment he was a true freshman playing against Michigan. Just watching how but I think Rome's more explosive. I, Reg, Reggie Williams would not have looked like that on the punt return. Like that's 
that's not that's not something that was in in Reggie's in Reggie's skill set. It's it's really it's really close. Plus, Rome. <laughs> I don't know if there's ever been an offensive coordinator who's done less with more than John Donovan. <laughs> because yes, <laughs> yes, point. Roma Dunze gets an extra year for reasons like you said, kind of beyond his control. But that extra year was was the worst imaginable utilization of his talents possible. And and yet you still could like you still could see it. That was what yes, was so. You could. That was when what was could. so strange about that when, year. When you got the ball, why isn't that guy getting the ball seven times a game? I, I don't care if you can't too. protect at all. Yes. Um, can I ask a two questions to you? This is going to be the how worried should I be? Yes. How worried should I be about Jalen McMillan? It sounds like not very. Okay. Um, Ryan Grubb was asked this on Monday. Hey, are there any long-term concerns with Jalen McMillan's injury? And he was immediately dismissive of the thought. Okay. He he said he said no 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 um nothing like that. He's doing great. He's working. You know, he said we're being really safe with him or we're being really smart with him, which to me translates to if the Cal game had been the national championship, he he would have played. Right. Um. At least that's just that's my assumption. DeBoer made it seem like they expect him back this week. I, I would almost be surprised to see him come back for a game before a bye week before the Oregon game. Um, but if he can go, he's going to want, you know, he's not the type of guy who wants to miss any action. I don't know that, that many college football players would, but no, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like it's a, it's a, it's, it's a long-term thing that they're trying to make seem not, not as bad as it is. Um, there's always that possibility. You never know, but it it really does seem like they just are are being careful. Second thing, how worried should I be about Cal scoring thirty two points? I mean, twenty two of it or twenty of it, I guess, was in garbage time. Would we yep. say? Oh, so. be careful! Be careful! Garbage time! Yeah, garbage get... time is one of the objections <laughs> Lincoln Riley had to Luca Evans. Did not points. did not like the use of the term garbage time. Twenty points were scored during late game action <laughs> with the outcome decided. Uh, if nobody, I think most people know what we're talking about. But Lincoln Riley last week <laughs> suspended a reporter. Is he from the Orange County Register? Is that right? Or is it yeah, the, the LA uh, Daily the, News, the Southern California News Group? Yes, the little news conglomerate, not the LA Times. But when Luca Evans, who's a younger reporter who had. Best I can tell, they had told him you can't approach. They tried to enforce some boundaries on interactions, that you can't talk to players outside of specific interview availability. You can't. They they felt that he was being too aggressive, and he wrote a story. It was about a freshman being shy and how this freshman in a spotlight wasn't necessarily comfortable but was working to be better, and he just the reporter described an interaction this player had with another player just before they went on the media for the media interview. And then Lincoln Riley suspended him for two weeks. And among the complaints were not honoring the, the interview boundaries, not addressing the president of USC as the president Holt or Dr. Holt, but calling her by her first name, Carol, and did not like the fact that in a story he referred to it as garbage time. Yeah, just for the record, when I interviewed Anamari Kausay, I 
I greeted her as Anamari, and she introduced herself as Anamari. Yeah. So for anyone who knows what the wanting to know what the expectation is on something like that, these are these are human beings. We we don't work for them, right? Like we don't we don't we're not peers, but we don't we don't work for them. I never called Pete Carroll coach. Called him Pete, and ah, I. It's not that I would. The expectation that you show deference to a subject is is really the issue. It's not a matter of how much you respect the subject or not. It's the expectation of deference that I just I think it sets a bad tone for the the nature of the interaction. It's also just it completely undermines um, your point of view when your list of grievances is that petty. <laughs> Like it, 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 it's true because the, their issue clearly was the oh you're you're reporting things you see that that media we've granted access to our facility have agreed not to report that's the that's the issue and that's petty enough on its own and not in any way um worthy of a two-week I, I must I must specify air quote quote unquote suspension because you can't quote unquote suspend somebody who does not work for you. That's, That's not right. actually a suspension. It just means you're not going to let him into your building. And of course, they lifted it. It didn't actually happen. Happy ending, so on and so forth. But um, the, the the list of things is just like I did. You put this in an email? Did you with a straight face? Right? Did, did, was this communicated <laughs> like in a phone call? Was this written down like you met with Lincoln Riley as the communications person or whoever it was? And, of course, that person is in a no-win, impossible situation because you don't say no to the head football coach at USC. If he wants something done, you do it, and that's that's tough politically. But, yeah, I'm the list of stuff, I'm just like, what is – you're you clearly you're mad about one thing and you're trying to make it seem like it's not just one thing. So you're going to list out all of these just ridiculous petty grievances that no reporter would ever adhere to naturally anyway. That was just a very it was a it was just a, an obvious unforced error that instantly you're like this isn't going to this isn't going to stand. They're going to iron this out. This this that that just doesn't work like this. My sure enough. My, yeah, my first reaction was we all agree that Lincoln Riley is an incredibly talented football coach, right? Like he's he three Heisman winners in the past six seasons. He's he's clearly the talent that he's gotten at, at USC. There's no, I would say there's no limit on what he can accomplish as a football coach, unless he inflicts wounds upon himself, unless he scores own goals. And this is an own goal, and it made me think and believe that unless he changes. He is going to eventually run into problems at USC and certainly be unable to succeed in the NFL if he has this approach. And it doesn't really have anything to do with him not liking reporters or trying to shut reporters out. It's the belief that he can strong arm reporters. Because when you get in higher profile positions, you can't. Bill Belichick is not any more interested in having reporters peel back the layers of his football team than Lincoln Riley is. But he knows better than to create very public fights with people who buy ink by the barrel. It's a stupid, just pragmatically, it's a really dumb strategic move. And all of the fans at USC are going to be pissed at the reporter. I get that. Like nobody's going to nobody's going to think that the reporter was right. But in my time, like in my experience what has shown me is that it's it's not 
that that behavior, whatever caused Lincoln Riley to pick that fight, he's eventually going to do things that are going to make those fans pissed off at him. They might be super happy with him now, but that little whatever the desire for control because I think what he's mad about, I think he's mad the reporter called the players' parents. I think that's the actual issue that he's trying to shut down because that is something that college coaches worry about. They they don't want to provide and people to provide a platform to use current journalism speak for parents who might be unhappy with how much playing time or the opportunities that Johnny's getting. So he wants to nip that in the bud. So he's going to try to house train the reporter. And that went very, very poorly. <laughs> that went terribly for him. Uh, this reminded me, this is, this is not really related, but it reminded me. And so I, it's worth bringing up. Uh, we have the answer to your preseason question of which Pac-12 coach would have beef <laughs> with Deion Sanders first. Although it, frankly, it appears to be a one way beef because Dion's not really taking the bait. Yeah. And Dan Lanning came out recently and basically said that hey i'm i'm grateful for all the attention that dion has brought to the game we just played that was i bet he is that was funny what did i don't remember seeing the actual clip in real time i didn't understand what he su- said until i saw it on twitter and then i was like oh that's that's really really funny uh dan landing the oregon coach allowed his pregame speech to be filmed by espn broadcast during the game which was carried on abc and he made a big rooted in substance which i don't know of anything that's going to motivate 18 and 19 year olds more than saying rooted in substance men (laughs) we are rooted in substance and today we talk with our pads we talk with our helmets this game's not going to be decided in hollywood this game's going to be decided on the grass newsflash you play on field turf see I think I think it's a brilliant tactical maneuver by Dan Lanning, and here's why. Um, he, he had to know Oregon had Colorado completely outclassed. Yes. Especially in the trenches. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that coaching staff is watching film all week saying, unless we screw up, we should run these guys. Mm-hmm. So let's play up the... Oh, you th- you know, everyone's talking about Colorado. Everyone's talking about, you know, we're the Oregon Ducks. We're a top 10 team. This, this is our home stadium. It's going to be sold out. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere. And all anybody's talking about is the Cinderella story. You made reference to that too, right? The Cinderella story ends today. All mm-hmm. anybody's talking about is this Cinderella coming in here. So you know what? Yeah, let's let's position ourselves. Let's position the Oregon Ducks as the team that – isn't interested in the Hollywood stuff and isn't interested in the cameras and the hype and, and the, the, the flash we're about substance today, you know, like let's, let's position ourselves as the team, right? Wins over clicks or whatever it is. When in, in reality, <laughs> they're if fighting you, for if, clicks. We're if fighting for wins. Sport, if you're involved in this sport, you're fighting for clicks. If you're involved in this sport, you care about clicks because that like, I think of recruiting first and foremost, Everybody's after clicks. Everybody's putting out these amazing cinematic videos after wins and, and you know, putting together funny social graphics and trying to connect with the younger generations and build their fan base and build their following and get seen. It's a sport that's after clicks, right? So mm-hmm. that's why, like, I, I kind of say tongue-in-cheek when we say we've got our first 
Dion versus Pac-12 coach beef because it's not really beef. It's all for show, right? It's it's kind of there's a pro wrestling element to all of this. Um, and I you know, yeah. and I think Dan Landing was wise to tap into it. I think so too. I think it's risky. It, it does it does leave. How's that going to go down the road? But yeah, it it worked out really well. The people it was intended for, his players, the fans of Oregon, and potential recruits loved it. It's also hilarious that of all programs, the OG of the look at me gigs is, is they're saying they're out there for clicks. Like that's that's pretty objectively funny. But no, I think I think it played well. I think it was I, I think it was played well by him. Uh over ten million people watched. Yeah, I've seen the Allegedly. rash of the rash of stories. Good. I, I think What's what's funny about it is people came away from it thinking like, wow, Oregon looked impressive. And they they did. Oregon looked good. I saw Sports Illustrated even had a, it shocks the football world. Oregon was favored by 21. Yeah, I know. It <laughs> it's not like the the perception. I, I understand that Dion and Colorado have gotten a lot of attention and they've played way better than anybody could have expected. And it's been really interesting to watch. It is not surprising that they got dragged in Eugene, and it won't be surprising if they lose by 30 at home to USC this weekend. So obviously Colorado, I mean, obvious. so obvious it's not even worth saying, but Colorado is miles and miles and miles and miles better than it was last year. No question mm-hmm. about it. They're more talented. They're better coached. They are a better team, without a doubt, no comparison. But Should, And Shadour Sanders looks like oh, an NFL legit. quarterback. He, yeah. he looks like a really good a really good quarterback. But that game in Eugene on Saturday felt like if you took Colorado's team last year and and just put all the media attention on them that you would put on a national championship contender. It's like you it, it, you it's not going to be a good game just because you decide that you're going to hype it up and show it on 12 right. show it on ABC at 12:30 with your national crew. Like it it felt like yeah, one of these teams is is a legit conference championship contender, and the other is interesting and much improved. And I'm going to watch every one of their games for the rest of the year, no doubt, because I still find them fascinating. And, you know, I think there's a legit chance that, that they could get to a bowl game, maybe win seven games or something like that. But it just um, – it did not uh, – the hype did not fit the matchup as far as expecting a competitive game. And I – I think what played out was what is what I expected. And didn't you pick Oregon to cover too? Uh no. I You probably just picked against them on principle though. <laughs> yeah, because that works out really well for me. But yeah, no, I did pick against them on principle. Should I did not I Ian? did not pick them to cover. Should we get to Ian? Uh yes, but first I'm trying to find it was the best tweet that I saw about uh Josina Anderson, who's covered the NFL for uh, a number of years, said What's the speech when Travis Hunter, parentheses, liver, isn't out? And Quincy Avery, who's been, he's been a a quarterback coach. Like, he's worked with a number of really high-profile recruits. I'm pretty sure he worked with Cam Newton, but a number of different guys. He responded, that ain't a 35-point liver. Yeah. Which yeah. which I believe should be the standing the standing statement for any sort of blowout in the future is like that. That ain't a thirty five point liver. <laughs> it's I mean, 
it it does kind of get at the heart of what the what the challenge is going to be for Colorado in the short term, right? Like they have excellent skill talent. Yes, um, they've got some. You know, Travis Hunter is an NFL corner uh, who is also a you know one of the best receivers in the conference. He's an unbelievable player, but you you need to like double his body weight and clone him about eight times and put him on the offensive and defensive line because that's where they're that's where they're lacking. I mean, especially the O line. I mean, it's just it's it's really hard for them to protect Shadur Sanders at this point. And um, obviously, Oregon kind of got whatever they wanted moving the ball too. So I mean, it's good. It's going to be in the trenches. And I, you know, I either Dion likes the young talent they have there and they'll develop those guys or he'll be, he'll be going in the portal and seeing if he can't find a, a veteran O lineman or D lineman or, or a four. If Colorado finishes 500, Dion will have done a hell of a job. That no, will be no question that, that, that will be absolutely incredible. It is time for our, it's worth a conversation with Ian McFarland, IP If you needed some clear eyed, very focused advice on how to reach new clients, customers, up your sales numbers, check out ipmcfarland.com. He's going to have some advice for us here in just a little bit. But right now, the question that's worth a conversation. Guys, my question this week is, am I wrong for thinking this? We've got a trip to the desert, which we know is, is ending soon, but has always been a challenging thing for the Huskies. We've got a coach that uh, has a kind of an underwhelming team, but has really, really big ambitions. Is probably going to be able to pump them up by them being an 18-point underdog at home. We've got our old friend Jaden Delora. And I hate to even mention it, but we've got the 10-year anniversary of wonderful guy, unfortunate circumstance, Deontay Cooper. In the words of Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. Am I wrong, guys? Have a good week. Go dogs. I'll correct. It's only the nine-year anniversary of said. Uh, the fumble. Why didn't you just run out the clock game? In the, Which in the is desert? actually it, it's, and that's nine years ago. I was furious when it happened and was on board with the uh, Chris Peterson mismanaged the clock. I, I I'm wrong about that. It's he he played it right. Washington just shouldn't have fumbled. the 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 error there was not a mathematical error. Um, they couldn't have kneeled it out. I think. Correct. My contention, and I I stick to this. And in fact, Chris Peterson did this in a very similar circumstance at UCLA in 2018. They needed to lose like six to eight seconds, if I remember right, like six to eight seconds between their three snaps. Yes. I think what you would see now, and it's become very commonplace, is you would see the quarterback take a snap and roll out deep to the field side and wait until the defense arrives and slide down. And that would you 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 I think just doing that once probably would have been enough, but if it hadn't been you could have eat, doing it twice definitely would have been enough to get you under forty for the final snap and then you can take a knee. So the the ball did not ever need to be put at risk. Um, and I realize, you know, the game's changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that coaches have kind of adopted it. And they, they did that again at UCLA in 2018. It, it wasn't a clean, you know, you can take knees and, and you needed to, you needed to waste a couple seconds. And they had Jake Browning do that and it got him under 40 and 
they were able to take a knee. They didn't have to risk a tackle or anybody putting their hands on the ball. So uh, there was there was something that they could have done to avoid putting the ball at risk. Now, handing it to a running back who I don't think had ever fumbled or, you know, is one of your more sure-handed guys and he fumbles, you're not, you know, it's football. Things happen. You're not, you're not banking on that necessarily. But it didn't uh, – they did not need to run the ball. They didn't need to send a ball carrier into a group of defensive players who, whose only hope of winning the game was to pry the ball from his arms, and so they were going to try like hell to do that. That was something they put in place afterward, and I, I would say it was not something that was commonly practiced at the time. My, my belief when it happened was that they screwed up in their, in their set procedures, that he, he made a math error. And that's not the case. Like it was, they had a, they, they used what was at their disposal. They hadn't, they hadn't implemented the other stuff. Um, so you're right. You didn't have to, but that was the, they built a new system in the wake of that mistake as opposed to, cause I've seen it. And Mike Holmgren did it, I believe in 2004 where it was a math error. Like they, they needed to just kneel and, and they didn't. And it wasn't that situation in 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 Arizona, which which I thought it was. Uh, I actually have a book, uh, the Handbook of Clock Management, that was written by uh, Homer Smith, who is, if you know him, was a longtime offensive coordinator. I think he's even a head coach at one point at Arizona. Uh, really, really interesting guy. But it's all about actually, I've got it right here. Uh, you know who's on the cover of this version that I have? Who is that? It's Art oh, Bryles. Goodness. Yeah. Should I should I should that that book be canceled? It's a fascinating. I've become extremely interested in end of half decision making and his book on it is is absolutely fantastic. Uh one of the most under scrutinized elements of of football is what happens at the at the last 5 minutes of each half. I will say the, the poor clock management doesn't get discussed when nothing bad happens. So mm-hmm. it was worth noting that very same season, 2014, the Vernon Adams Eastern Washington game in Husky Stadium that Washington won 59 to 52 where Vernon threw seven touchdown passes. Washington had the ball last with fewer than 2 minutes on the clock and Eastern Washington out of timeouts. And they ran the ball twice before taking a knee. They could have kneed out the clock and they ran the ball twice. Nothing bad. I think Dwayne Washington carried. Nothing bad happened. There were no fumbles. But I remember thinking at the time they're, they're in kneel-down territory here. Why are they running the ball? It's a one-score game. It's not like super-duper garbage time. You're up by five scores, and it doesn't matter, and you're trying to give a younger guy some reps. Like, what are you? why are they running it? They don't need to do that. Nothing bad happened, so didn't really get talked about. But that was another instance that very year of that was clearly, clearly end-of-game, kneel-down territory, don't need to run the ball, and they still did. So... I just like that, to point that out. That was 2000, 2014 was the year. The one point loss on the 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 end of game fumble situation. Washington's won its three games at Arizona since then, and Washington's problems in the desert are really generally have been more of an Arizona State issue than an Arizona. Not that they've been particularly good at Arizona, but they haven't been as notably bad as they have been in Tempe. They tried really hard to lose two years ago. Um, Is that the twenty one sixteen game? Yeah. Yes. Against one of the very worst 
FBS teams ever. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. It was the, a the, really the Cal, bad team. Cal managed to lose two, although they were stricken by COVID nineteen. <laughs> they were, at least they, they were fighting the Berkeley Department of Health. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> Arizona's one win in twenty twenty one was over the Berkeley Department of Health. <laughs> Or God, maybe maybe so the Ber- maybe the Berkeley Department of Health actually went one and zero against Cal's football team. <laughs> maybe that's how the official record stands. But um, yeah, twenty nineteen sluggish first half. They come out and blow them out in the second half. Twenty sixteen was a little bit of a weird Arizona desert game because that was not a very good Arizona team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a playoff team for Washington. Obviously, that was their Pac twelve opener week before the big you know Friday night Stanford game at Husky Stadium. And they needed overtime. And it was a weird game because they kind of outplayed them. I think they either had close to 500 yards or more than 500 yards. um, And needed, uh, you know, there was like Khalil Tate had a long touchdown run. And it was just sort of a weird game. So I think that maybe that's the territory that Ian's most worried about. But I'll just say, if this team is Cal-proof, if this team is is resistant to the dumb (laughs) Cal stuff... Then you gotta hope that back to back weeks, uh, they're they're gonna be resistant to stupid desert things too. But we'll see because the stupid desert things go back way further than the dumb Cal stuff. So that is true. It was Arizona's where the the death knell on Washington's most dominant run came. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's where it happened in '92 with all the stories about Billy Joe Hobart. Which, by the way, I've been looking for a Billy Joe jersey. I'm coming back for the Oregon game and been looking. I haven't been able to find one online yet. Um, I found an autographed Raiders Billy Joe Hobart jersey, but that was no longer for sale. So I'm still I'm still hunting around. I've I've decided that I'm going to come hell or high water at some point. I'm going to get a number twelve Huskies jersey. Can you do the custom jerseys for former players? Maybe, but that would look weird because it's contemporary, like the contemporary design. Yeah, I, yeah. You want so, the old the old simple one. We'll see. I think I think I'm going to be able to to come up with something. But they lost their they they lost. Uh, I think they scored a field goal in that game after the C- C- Seattle Times story started running, and that was that was the death knell. Arizona narrow win against Stanford last week, twenty one twenty, over a bad Stanford team that was, or maybe Stanford team was just really motivated after getting housed by Sacramento State. Yeah, they maybe uh, maybe that fired him up. Um, Jaden Delora hurt in that game. Left yes. with an injury. They scored their game-winning touch. Was it a touchdown or a field goal? Their their last score was uh, was with Noah Fafita, their backup quarterback. And so we'll see. Jaden Delora has not been good this year. He has not. Um, so I don't know. Like, if it's if you're a Washington fan, do you want to see, you know, the backup and not, just not take your chances with dealing with a guy who threw for 400 yards against you last year? And had a good game at Wazoo in the Apple Cup, obviously, two years ago. Or maybe you want to see this version of Jaden Delora, who can't take care of the ball and and uh, just has not. Man, that offense has been really, really yes. lacking for the the players they have. I mean, I think they've got two really good receivers. Delora has proven he can be explosive. Um, their defense has been better, but I don't know that they've really played anyone. I, they scored 24 points against Mississippi State, which, okay, SEC team, and then 21 points against Cal, which is like, eesh. I, yeah. I uh, think I was 4-2 uh, and two in our picks last week. 
You were. We picked two games differently, and you got both right. I got both wrong. So you were four and two, bringing your season to nineteen and twelve. Uh, I went two and four. I'm two games behind. Seventeen and four. Seventeen and fourteen. Still tight. Do you have the lines? I do. Let's go. Let's Fri- go. Friday night, Oregon State coming off of a a heartbreaking loss in the Tupac Classic, thirty eight, thirty five. Cougs beat them in Corvallis. They're back at Corvallis. They're playing Utah, which beat UCLA last week, fourteen to seven. Utah, three and a half point underdog. Beavs Beavs given three and a half. This feels like an absolute fist fight of a game. Yes, it does. Like this game's game. going to be played in a phone booth. Uh, I kind of like Utah. I don't know. I just, they they find a way, you know. And if they held UCLA to seven, we really haven't seen much from Oregon State's passing game. So I think this is like an eight in the box. Can Damian <laughs> Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick scratch out enough yardage to score points type of game? Um, that said, like if Cam Rising, is Cam Rising ever going to play? I don't know. Like, where is he? You know, that's so that's lingered. And I don't know if, if this is the week they were targeting or if he gets back. No, this no, week. no, no, no. Last I was told last week was the week they were targeting. It so sure once seemed like it, it once sure once like he's it. once he's not once he didn't play the week that they've been targeting. I'm I'm assuming he's not going to play until I see him walk out on that field. We saw the Beavers exposed just enough in Pullman and and I uh, I just I. I'm I'm in a mode where I just I'm not going to bet against Kyle Whittingham. Uh, I'm going to take the bees, but I do want to, as you were talking about this being uh, eight men in the box and a fist fight and played in a phone booth. When I grew up in Oregon, uh, there used to be, I won't say that I fought regularly, but it was generally like there were fist fights that occurred on my block. And there was a period of time in which there was a general protocol that was agreed to where you can't punch in the face. So it was almost fair enough. It was, they were boxing matches where you just hit each other in the gut. It <laughs> doesn't sound very pleasant. Oh, it's, it's awful. It's a terrible way to fight for everybody because, and the argument that we made is like, it's really a test of will because when you get smashed in the face, sometimes you just go down or you're bleeding and everybody decides it's gross and you need to stop. Basically, when you lose a fight in which nobody can punch each other in the face, it's the person who quits. So we saw him as tests of courage. It's an awful way to fight. And that's exactly what this game is going to be. This is going to be the equivalent of a West Klamath, no punching in the face football game where they just sit there and slug each other in the stomach. (laughs) Go Beavs! You got the Uh, Beavs. Next game we have Colorado... (laughs) Now, here's where Dion's tendency to attract attention might backfire on it. Because given all the attention that Colorado has, has attracted, they're putting them back on center stage again. And they're playing at home against USC. Trojans favored by 21 and a half. And this is a big noon kickoff game, right? I, I'm assuming so. It's just the big Colorado game, which is Fox. Fox has hitched its wagon to Dion Sanders. <laughs> yes, uh, it is. It is the big noon kickoff on Fox. Um Man, three three big noon kickoffs in five games for Colorado. Yep, that's right. What was the number? Twenty one and a half. Twenty one and a half. So basically the same number, but they're playing at home and probably playing a little bit of a worse defense. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I just, <laughs> I I think it comes down to how engaged is USC, how engaged is their offense. I see. I think that uh, only winning by two touchdowns and leading by a single touchdown in in the desert in the fourth quarter is going to light a fire. And and I think they saw Oregon kind of get to get to play the hero after mm-hmm. blasting Colorado. I think they're going to want to join Oregon on that list of teams that expose Colorado. And um and I think the Buffs are just kind of kind of hurting right now. So, I I like USC to cover. I won't be shocked if they don't. I would have been really surprised if Oregon hadn't rolled the way that it did with Colorado playing at home and maybe there's some 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 weak spots they can exploit in USC's secondary or something like that. Um, I wouldn't be as surprised, but I am going to take USC to cover that. I'm taking USC. I'm laying the lumber in this game. Um, yeah, I I think the I th- think the shine is off of Colorado. They might get better toward the end of the season, but I think it's going to be tough road tough road to hoe here in the short term. Now we got Arizona State, which was surprisingly frisky last week. Actually, the two worst teams in the conference both played really really well. Competitive games last week: Arizona State and Stanford. Arizona State at Cal. Cal favored by twelve. That feels like a pretty big number for Cal. Certainly does. Who's going to play quarterback? Are they going to bring Finley back out there? I was really surprised they didn't give Jackson a look earlier yep. in that game. Yep. Um, I'm going to take ASU. Uh, Kenny Dillingham is still calling the plays. He took over play calling duties from Bo Baldwin. Um, it seemed to spark them a little bit mm-hmm. against SC. And, yeah, after watching Cal's quarterback situation in person i don't know that i i'm picking them to cover a double digit spread against any team in this conference um my my, th- my thoughts have changed on asu in in short order i was coming out of that loss to fresno thinking i'm i'm fading these guys until they prove otherwise and look they proved otherwise they covered easily against usc so i'm gonna i'm gonna take the sun devils bouncing back uh or maybe more so keeping the the momentum going from their their mere fourteen point loss to USC. I'm it is a big number for Cal. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Bears for two reasons. Uh one, I do think Jade Knott's a pretty special player. Two, I think that Cal's kick are so terrible they're not going to attempt any field goals the rest of the season, which is going to mean that Cal uh scores more points because they keep going for it on fourth down. I'm taking the Bears and laying the twelve. That sound logic. Oregon at Stanford. Ducks Ducks, the, the pearl, the apple of everyone's eye after last week's last week's showcase. Go down to the farm favored by 27. So mm-hmm. this is Oregon's desert trip. This is Oregon's dumb Cal stuff. They, something weird always happens when they go visit Stanford. Um, but not, not this year. Uh, <laughs> Stanford's just not good enough. And I can't imagine the scenario where everyone... You know, barring some ridiculous rash of injuries or or absences or something, <laughs> I can't imagine a scenario where they win this game. Twenty seven. Hmm. No, I, I think I, I think Oregon covers that. Man, you look at at Stanford and the points they gave up to Sacramento State, and then you think about how much faster Oregon is. I, I was imp- I was impressed. I was surprised that Stanford uh, only lost by one to Arizona, but. As much as I hate the Ducks, I'm taking the Ducks and laying the points in this one. I'm surprised that uh, USC was a bigger favorite 
at Arizona State than Oregon is at Stanford. Maybe yeah. it's because they they got up thirty five nothing against Colorado and only scored a single touchdown in the second half. So Vegas thinks, ah, you know, if it's lopsided, they'll they'll back off and and maybe the difference is made up in garbage time. Who knows? Yeah, I I think most of that has to do with the the series recently and 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 sort of where they Oregon's Oregon's history has been tough against Stanford. Um, so and the fact that it's at Stanford, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's on grass. Stanford plays on grass, right? They do. Yeah, they're worried about the Ducks playing on grass, so even though their their coach said last week this game's going to be decided on grass. This game's going to be decided on synthetic field turf. <laughs> Huskies at Arizona. Huskies laying 18. Yeah, that's a dicey number in Tucson. Last time and... Washington, well they won by they they won My math's terrible. They won by 24 points in 2019. Does uh does an 18-point spread in this game indicate that Vegas expects Jaden Delora to play? I got to think it'd be a little heavier if they were counting on the backup. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Arizona's coming off a win. Arizona's not terrible. I just assume, I assume Vegas with most of those is is record-driven. It's like, is there a zero in front of the team's win column? And with Arizona, there isn't. So they're like, 18 sounds good. Not quite three touchdowns. They are three and one. Um, yeah, I have not seen the offensive production from them this year to make me think that this is going to be a similar performance to what they did in Seattle last season. And I do think their defense is a little better. Uh, but I don't know. I'm kind of of the mind that this this is just kind of a juggernaut offensive unit for Washington this year. And if there's a, a group in the Pac-12 that can slow them down i don't think it's arizona so um i'm look washington's played four games they're three and one against the spread and the the only game they didn't cover they were favored by 33 and a half or 34 and a half and one by 33 so i'm gonna i'm gonna ride the trend and i'm gonna take washington to cover the 18 all right this is gonna be a strategic pick I'm taking the cats because I think that I can catch up to Christian this week. <laughs> I'm fading your pick. I'm going to go with the, we didn't get the dumb Cal game, so something screwy is going to happen at Arizona. It's going to be a little closer than it should be. I'm going to take the cats. Fair enough. Say who say pod is up to 228 ratings. Woohoo! Podcast. We do have one new review this week from Mr. S. Gates. His review is headlined Jack Westover Fan Club. The review says, come for the intro, quote, say pod. Stay for the giggles and Jack Westover highlights. <laughs> there we go. You, too, can have your review read at the end of our show here if you simply write it and publish it on Apple Podcasts. I promise. As long as it's nice. It could be a little mean. A little mean. Well-spirited meanness. Teasing. Yes. About duct tape um, and bailing wire duct tape and bailing wire enjoy your week enjoy the game uh enjoy any potential garbage time also <laughs> here's the garbage time we'll talk to you next week <laughs>